0: So this morning, I need a little bit of help. I'm gonna throw out a name, and I want you to tell me, and I want you at home to put in the comments, the very first thing you think of. And if at home you're waiting for someone else to shout it here, and then you're gonna type your answer, well, no, okay, that's cheating. (laughs) All right, all right, first name, Mr. Rogers. What do you think? friend, neighbor, child, child. child. kindness, child. kindness. Yeah. Tying, shoes. T- tying his shoes, <laughs> sweater. <laughs> sweater, okay, yep, those are good, uh, Michael Jordan, the best. Yeah. tall, basketball, the best, <laughs> air, air Jordan, that's right, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that's good, how about Mother Teresa, kindness, care, humble, strong, saint, right? How about Sean Connery? Handsome? Handsome. Uh Uh-oh, Chad. Did you hear that on the live stream? (laughs) Sean Connery, handsome, James Bond, Scottish, right? That wasn't at all Scottish, but hey, forgive me. I would say the best, James Bond. Okay, so those are just some examples, right? We could go on and on and on and have a blast doing that. But what we're describing right now, the very first thing we think of when we hear a name, you could say that is a person's legacy. It's a person's legacy. Legacy, it's something that we are remembered by. It's, it's it's, It's what we are known for for the rest of our lives, and mostly also when we're gone, right? It's like, oh yeah, that person, he was super kind. Or, oh yeah, she was incredibly sacrificial and giving. All she did was give and pour out to others. Or man, that dude wore the best sweaters and changed his shoes when he came in his home. (laughs) Or he was the best neighbor, right, Mr. Rogers. All of our lives are filled with very high moments and also low moments. We make good decisions, we make some terrible ones, and then we make even worse than terrible decisions in our lives as well. But then, maybe some of you have actually done something like really impressive. Men, maybe one of you have actually impressed a woman. Maybe one of you, but what I can guarantee is every man in here, you've all tried to impress a woman. and they get and they laughed out of pity for you i think that's universal each one of us men have experienced that our lives are filled with good bad funny experiences but our legacy is what stands out the most whether it be good or bad see some legacies are not all positive like the examples we had at the beginning You know, if you think of a negative legacy, it's those names that make you shudder. If I were to say like Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden or Pharaoh, if you want to get biblical, you know. And we can't really speak our legacy into being. You know, I can't say, I'm Kevin Sanders, and this. my legacy will be a man with an astounding beard. I can say it, I can claim it, as many times as I want, but frankly, how I live my life and what happens is what will determine my legacy. I might be known as Kevin, who desperately wanted a beard, (laughs) because I say it almost every week here. i got to stop that. But our legacy is defined by how we live our lives. So the question for each of us to consider on the outset here is, what is your longed for legacy? What do you long for people to say about you long after you're gone? if you could pick it, what would it be? You see, honestly, I want you to think about this. I want you to wrestle with this, because our, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, so we can't claim it, but we can work towards something. So write it down. When our time here on Earth is past, what do you want to be known for? We're starting this series today called After God's Heart, and we are studying a man with a legacy we're looking at the life of david he was a great man oh a great man a great king and he also did some incredibly horrible awful things he messed up majorly his life was filled with highs and lows ups and downs and yet As scripture shows us, he has a legacy for being a man after God's own heart. And that is his God-given legacy. That's God who says he was a man after my own heart. And that's a legacy worth aspiring to. So these next four weeks, we are going to look at what exactly makes David a man after God's own heart. And how might we be able to try and live into that as well? So, uh, for After God's Heart, this series, next week we're going to look at David's character. The week after that, David's confession, his his confession of sin, but also his confessions of faith. And then we will wrap up the series when we look at God's calling on David's life. But this week, we're talking about David's courage. So, let's get some super quick context here. If you've been uh, reading along with our awesome bookmark challenge, you'll have a lot of this context. Um, But I'm going to catch us up to speed here. And basically, there's a guy named Samuel. He was the very last judge. Judges were appointed by God to come in and help the Israel people turn back to God after they finally cried out to him after a long ongoing stretch of sin, sinning and whatnot. So Samuel was the very last judge. And the people demanded a king. Finally, God relented and said, Okay, I will grant you your desire for a king. Even though they missed the sight that God already was their king. And so they anoint a man named Saul as the first king over Israel. Saul, he looked the part he started. When he started, was first appointed king. He acted the part a bit as well. But as we read this week, he very quickly lost sight of what it meant to honor God. He ultimately stopped listening to God. He did what he wanted. He tried to make his own name great. He cared more about what the people wanted and thought than what God wanted and thought. And so, then we have David, who is the eighth child of Jesse, the eighth child. I was the third child and I fr- felt like I was forgotten. You know, imagine being the eighth child. My parents love me very much, just clarify. <laughs> I have a third child now too, and I'm like, oh, I get it, I get it, okay. He was the eighth child. He was a shepherd, a musician with a deep love for God. And God, after he told Saul that he lost his favor, he tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse that's where the next king of Israel is. Goes through every single son and tell, oh yeah, David, he's out in the fields, I guess we can bring him in. And God's like, he's the one, anoint him. That's the next king of Israel. In fact, he ended up being the greatest king of Israel. But right here, there's David. And the Israelites, they were at a standstill against the enemies, the Philistines. Ooh, man, the Philistines. And they were standing on this valley, on opposite sides of a deep valley and they were at a standstill. You see, usually in battle or war, it benefits you to strike first. Not in this case, because whoever struck first would have to go down the valley and then up. And then you are at a tactical disadvantage if you're on the low ground. Anyone who's a fan of Obi-Wan Kenobi knows you want the high ground, okay? You want the high ground. So no one wanted to make the first move, because it would put them at a disadvantage. And so, David's brothers are in the encampment that's just been waiting. And there's this Philistine champion, you know his name, his name's Goliath. Has he named that at birth, or does he get that name later? Because, like, Goliath, he was destined to be a big dude, right? For 40 days, Goliath, he stood about 9 feet tall, that's like two of me, he would come out and challenge the, the Israeli army. He would taunt them, he would insult them, trying to get them to agree to a challenge of champions. You send your biggest and strongest guy to fight me, whoever wins will decide the fate of this battle, okay? Minimizes losses, and Goliath was pretty darn sure of himself that no one could best him. He was as intimidating as they come. And simply at the sight and sound of him, God's people, the Israelis, they were terrified. Terrified. For 40 days, this goes on. Goliath comes out, taunts them, and they are terrified. And then David. I like to imagine him as a young, boyish-looking guy, about five foot eight, maybe 110 pounds, probably can't quite grow a beard. Well, he is sent to his brothers by his dad to bring provisions, to bring food and all of that. Youngest of eight, all he was good for was running errands and man's sight. And let's pick up and see what happens when David goes to that camp. So we're reading from 1 Samuel 17, verses 22 through 26. We're going to go through a few different sections of this. So it will be on screen. You're welcome to turn to your Bibles if you have one with you um, or at home as well. So let's go ahead and see what this has to say. First Samuel 17, starting at verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant, the men asked. He comes out every single day to defy Israel. Now the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give the man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Hey, well, but David asked the soldier standing nearby, Okay, but what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? (laughs) That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Forty days, Goliath from Gath Comes out, and at the sheer sight of them, the Israelites run away in fright. For 40 days, what do you think? After like day 17, they'd be like, Alright, we get it. We get what's going on. No, they were still terrified. But David shows up. He's not even a soldier, he's a shepherd. He sees the taunt. He is not afraid. He's mad. He is righteously angry at what is going on in fact he calls out what the soldiers can't see he reframes their question Because this man this man is defying the living God you see a big man I see someone who's puny in God's eyes he's been allowed to defy the living God and God's people but no longer because it stirs David into action. He's not afraid. He's filled with faith. He sees an injustice to be righted. And so he goes to the king, and he tells him, hey, I will handle this guy, all right? All five, eight of me, bring it on. He says to Saul, I'll fight him. David, the very first person to volunteer to take on this dude. And let's see what Saul's his response is. This is in uh, 1 Samuel seventeen thirty-three. David had just said to him, I'll go fight him. And Saul replies, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Saul totally writes him off. Calls him Ridiculous. You have zero chance. No one believed in David here. Your age, your size, your experience, it all disqualifies you from even considering this. And in comparison to another, you're nothing. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe that resonates with you, where you felt a steely resolve to go and do something. And you knew it was the right thing to do, but others shut you down, or they made fun of you, or they didn't think you had what it takes. And because we're humans and we wound easily, it maybe prevents us from acting. And it actually doesn't just prevent and wound us right then in that moment, it wounds us from then on, because we often carry those senses of inadequacies with us throughout our lives. But God had work to do, And David, a man after God's own heart, he had a steely resolve to not let that stop him. So look at his response, picking up in verse 34. David persisted, to a king, mind you, talking back to a king. Not something you typically do as the eighth child of another guy. So, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Now, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue that lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. You go, David. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine as well. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. You're going to need it, you can practically hear him say. God prepared David for this moment. It was in a very unconventional and unexpected way, which God often likes to act in that way. It was through shepherding. And David had the eyes to see that. He goes, I can do this. He is deeply convicted of the need for Goliath, whose name, if you notice, he will not even speak to be brought down because he is defying the one true God, and that cannot stand. David may be young, but his convictions, his courage of faith run deeper than the entire army of Israel, including the king. You see, Saul, he was was known to be a courageous man. We have record of that earlier, of his courage. The problem was his courage, he based it off of his own strength, off of his own abilities. Now, look at, consider this. Forty days Goliath came and said, send me your best, your strongest, your mightiest, and we are going to duke this out. It is all but guaranteed that Saul was the biggest and strongest in the army of God. But Saul's courage only went as far as his own ability could take him, and he knew on his own power he had no chance against Goliath. But David... Small in stature, big in heart, his courage, the source of his courage came from God. His faith was in God, not himself. For as he just said, God rescued him from lions and tigers and bears, oh my! And he will rescue me from this Philistine. David is basically saying, I have seen him do it before. I believe he will do it again. That is who my God is, and so I will go, for I trust him. And that, we see, is courage that is birthed from faith. He grabs his humble tools, his shepherd's staff, his sling, picks up five stones. He doesn't want the armor of the warrior king because he has all he needs. He goes, he meets Goliath, who goes out with three weapons, mind you, and a shield bearer before him, and stands across from David. Goliath feels insulted. And so, as often is the case, when you feel insulted, you insult back. He insults David. He curses him and the name of his pagan gods. But look at David's response in verse 45. It says to Goliath, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And God does just what David claims. Because God is the great rescuer. You know, the word, when you think of the word rescue, The word rescue assumes a certain level of reliance. If you need to be rescued, you're relying on someone else to save you. If you're doing things on your own strength, you have no sense of having to rely on anybody. But if you need to be rescued, and our God is the great rescuer, then we rely on Him. And David was fully reliant on God, and because of that, his faith gave birth to courage, which allowed him to stand face to belly button against a monster and come out victorious. His feet were planted on the solid rock of God. His heart belonged to his king and his courage. It simply displays a God who is more powerful than any challenge, fear, or task. And David likely, you know, if you think about it, he likely didn't even view himself as being courageous. He simply saw himself living out his faith and doing what needed to be done. I wonder do you think we have confused being obedient with being courageous? things that are simple acts of obedience, do we say, no, that's a thing of courage. I don't really have courage. That's a scary thing to do. But what if it's actually just what it means to be obedient? I wonder. See, God has placed things in front of us. And do we need courage to step forward, or do we simply need to be obedient? You see, it kind of reminds me of parents who has a kid that is running into the street and a car is coming. What are you going to do? You're not going to sit there and say, I lack the courage for this. No, you dash out, you try everything you can to rescue that kid. Is that courageous? Yes, it is courageous. But really at the heart of it, that person is simply doing what needs to be done in the moment. There's no question about that. But saying something takes courage. It makes us intimidated. It scares us. It freaks us out. It says, I don't have that. We're like the, the, the cowardly lion, right? Like, I lack the courage. That's my lion, I guess. And now I'm mixing my Wizard of Oz metaphors here, but I don't care. Place your hand on your heart. Feel that? Feel that beat? Yeah. What is that? That is a heart crafted and shaped and still beating because of our God. And it's a heart that beats for God's purposes. You have a heart that beats, you have what it takes to be courageous and be obedient to our God. Because courage is complete faith that God is who he says he is. And he will do what he says he will do. David trusted his power to a higher authority, to God, who uses his power to save people, to rescue, for God conquered the world with his love. And if God, through Jesus Christ, defeated death, he can do anything. Nothing can stop the amazing power of our awesome God. And so... Brothers and sisters, like David, God has prepared you. He has called you. He has, and he will, continue to equip you as you step forward in faith toward him to do the work he has called you to do. You may have some giants in your way. If we rely on our own courage, we will see a giant that makes us run and fear. Each of us have something that's popping in our heads right now. That's my giant. Try as I might, I cannot slay that thing. No matter what, there's no chance. But to live courageously, you know what? Say, yeah, I can't do this, but God absolutely can. So give your heart to Him. It's to put your full faith and trust into Him. Step through that fear. Step through that fear and move forward in faith. Guess what? Faith doesn't mean the absence of fear. It's saying, I accept the fear, and I'm stepping forward anyway. So what fears are holding you back from living into your God-given legacy? Because there's no giant too big for our God. To live courageously is to live faithfully no matter what, no matter what's in front of us, no matter what's happened. To be a person after God's own heart means to live courageously, to have the courage to love deeply, to forgive quickly, to be vulnerable and honest with ourselves and others, to stand up for what's right, to admit when we just mess up, to march forward towards our own giants, call on the name of the Lord and move forward anyway we may fall we may be struck down we will not be destroyed because we belong to god so we can live faithfully no matter what stands in our way no matter the cost because god has paid the ultimate cost and he will continue to be faithful from now on forevermore so if the challenges ahead of us are worth fighting and I dare say I want to answer that for you, yes, the challenges ahead of you are absolutely worth fighting for. If tackling them brings glory to God, and we are seeking Him and relying on Him through all of it, then the battle, it belongs to the Lord. And we simply need to step forward in faith and trust. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So we need not be afraid, because we have seen him do it before, we will see him do it again, and so we step forward in faith. Like David, may we all be willing to do what the Lord has called us to do for the king and for this kingdom at all costs. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, reading of your servant David, a man that you called was after your very own heart. It is so easy for us to see and read the story and hear it and be like, that's incredible, that's amazing. That's not me. And yet, you have gifted us with the very power of your Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus Christ said would do even more than him. And so, Father... Right now, we call upon your spirit to work within us and reveal to us and encourage us and inspire us, as you said your spirit does, to believe that if we trust in you, you can do this great thing you have called us to. If we have a giant in our way and it seems immovable, we pray that we can rely on you because you have overcome. You will continue to overcome. And you are so good and loving that you don't leave us alone. But you fill us with your spirit. And when we mess up, your forgiveness always remains. And you help dust us off and say, all right, now it's time for the courage for the next step. Do it again trusting that you will pave the way. We thank you for the ways you talk to us, you connect with us, that you speak to us through our friends and our family that you have surrounded us with. We pray, Lord, that we can boldly follow after you so that we also may be known as people after your own heart. We love you, God. We praise you. And we pray all of this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.